Well, good morning. I'm so excited to uh, be preaching this weekend on week three of this Fully Alive uh, series. My family, we've been really diving into this, and um, for us, it's been an incredible month or so because we've been here a while, right? Uh, I started attending and worshiping here as a college student back in the early 90s, uh, married my wife in 96. I've got a 15-year-old daughter, a sophomore at Winter Springs High School now, a nine-year-old boy um, in third grade. And this whole topic of being fully alive has, has really been one that has affected the way our conversations have been going at home. Um, cleaning the house, mowing the yard, uh, grocery shopping, starting to rethink what does it mean for us in our situation, having been a part of this church for over 20 years, to watch what God is doing, to build on the decades of what God has been doing in this, in this community, in this church, this place that we call Northland. And what is he doing anew? What's the Holy Spirit doing that, that he's inviting us into to rethink what is our participation uh, partnership going to look like now? And it's, it's actually affecting some of the way we're making decisions right now. The kids have started school, so we think in semesters, you know, when you have kids in school, and we're trying to think, how do we want to finish this semester? What's the exclamation mark? that we want to have as a family, being able to look back and, and see this is what God was doing as we began to open up ourselves and our lives and our family to say, God, what would you cause us to do differently? What kind of changes in our routines, in our, our habits, in our calendar, things that we might need to shift around so that we could not only be fully alive as individuals and as a family, but as a part of this community, this place called Northland. So we've been really excited about this. What I want to do uh, this morning is talk about three words to get us started that has really captured my attention as it relates to uh, God's perspective on being fully alive. Three words that by themselves are big words. They each stand alone strong on their own, but together uh, have an even bigger impact for what it means for us to understand our Creator and what He's doing in the world. And the three words are simply this, God loves life. It's extraordinary. The, the lyrics that we've been singing, the visuals are stud, stunning when you think about the creation and the abundance and the creativity. When you think about Genesis 1 and, and, and 2, those two chapters at the very beginning, the language that the Old Testament writers use, uh, God creating the heavens and the earth, filling the oceans, uh, the language there with these great sea creatures and all these teeming animals that swam in the ocean. Um, then on the flip side, on, on dry land, every winged bird that God created and other creatures that, that crawled around on the ground, not my favorite kind of creatures. I'll take the winged birds. Um, this incredible variety and display of God's beauty and creativity. God loves life. And it reminded me of an article that I've been reading um, and looking over this article in the BBC. It's um, on my phone. This is kind of a, a daily routine for me, usually in the morning and later in the day, I'll go to the BBC and just kind of read what's up. And I saw this article where these researchers were asking this question, how many animals are born in the world every day? 
I love big questions like that. Um, and I got to thinking and I started asking some friends. In, in fact, I asked somebody down the hall from me uh, recently after reading this article, how many animals do you think are born every day? And, and she said, eight billion. So let me give you a definition, okay, so we can work off this. And then I want you to pick a, a number that you think and tell your neighbor, and we're going to see how close you might be to this estimation, all right? So just to make sure we're working off the same page, uh, the Oxford uh, Dictionary defines an animal as a living organism um, which feeds on organic matter, typically having specialized sense organs and nervous system, um, and being able to respond rapidly to stimuli, okay, so that we're on the same page. That's kind of how we're defining animal here. So let me just get a quick survey. Um, how many of you think eight billion is about right? You would say, I could go with that, eight billion a day, animals born. How many of you think that's too low? How many of you think it's too high? Few, all right, all right. Well, let's find out. So we're gonna, I'm gonna kind of move through quickly just a few different species and kind of work our way up just to kind of get a picture of sort of what's happening on a daily basis with, with life, right? We got the Humboldt penguin. Um, it's a great prom pose looking picture. Um, how many Humboldt penguins are born every day? About 40, all right, so starting small, hopefully more than 40 was your number. Um, how about humans? This is one of my favorite human specimens, Jack Black. How many humans are born every day? Roughly 353,000, okay. Rabbits, just in the UK. I'm sure you've wondered, as I have, how in the world is there not already a rabbit apocalypse. I mean, with the way they reproduce, it has to do with their mortality rate, and it's a sad story. We won't get into it, but how many rabbits just in the UK are born? Around 1.9 million. It's a lot of rabbits. Let's look at another one. How about chickens? If I was a chicken, that would definitely be my hairdo. I'd be rocking that all over the farm. Um, how many chicken nuggets, chicken tenders are we talking about? 62 million chickens are born every day. That's a lot of chickens, right? Um, but let's go up like to, to kind of a, a much bigger scale. Think um, science class in middle school or think science class in high school, microscopes, you're kind of in your lab there, and, and all of a sudden the topic turns to these microscopic organisms, nematodes. I was talking to my wife about this. Science wasn't my favorite, favorite subject. I said nematodes. She's like, do not say that at church. It's nematodes. Um, but nematodes, these microscopic organisms, um, an example of, of these would be hookworms, okay? Not a great topic if you're a germaphobe like myself, uh, but these things exist all over the place. Now, just to give you some scale, in, in geography, before we get to the number, just to give you an idea of, of nematodes, three million nematodes per square meter of land on Earth, okay? That's a lot of animals. Now, I don't know who we have in here as a math whiz, but these scientists, just with nematodes alone, did some calculations, the amount of nematodes that are born every single day, 600 quintillion nematodes. How many of you thought 600 quintillion at least, all right? I didn't even know that word existed, quintillion. Um, I've always just gone as high as like trillion. 
Six with 20 zeros after it. That's a lot of animals. And that doesn't even include, if, here in Florida, mosquitoes and noceums and alligators and snakes and everything else. The point of all of that is God loves life. It's extraordinary what God does on a daily basis uh, to breathe new life and creativity and vitality. And so as we're talking about what it means to be fully alive, there's, there's both a macro scale to this, but there's also an intimate micro scale that God doesn't just create in great quantity. He actually loves us so intimately that he pays attention to each one of us, and especially for us as humans, we are set apart as a different creation a different life organism that God loves deeply and invites into becoming a part of his mission as a part of this life-giving community. And so if God is life, if, if he loves life, if God is life-giving, what do you think? Do people believe and associate church as a life-giving community? In your neighborhood, at your workplace, at your school? How often does this topic come up, have God just speaking life through the church in our community? Maybe not a whole lot. We might think that here in this room, because we're here, but frankly, I believe there's probably somebody in this room, probably many people in this room, or connected online, who are here just skeptically, checking things out. Maybe, maybe this is your first time in a long time. You hear Northland's kind of going through some change and you're curious, what's this thing all about? Is it gonna stick? Is this just the latest new Northland thing? What's happening around here? There's a lot of people that aren't connected to church partly because of what they think about church. In fact, let's take a look at just one of these man on the street videos where we went out and just surveyed a few people from a local park right around here. What did they say about the church. Place of worship, uh, a place to be with God. That's a hard word to define because, you know, everybody has their own belief what Christian is. Faith, God. Most churches, like, it's like conglomerate churches. It's all about the money, like, right now I really need to be here to hear the word of God, and I'm paying for it, and I can really get it free if I search myself. Uh, the people make up the church, it's not just the building. Building is just there, but the people are the ones who make up the church. I've been to a church that I was disappointed because when I come to church, it's like, it doesn't matter how you come dressed, it doesn't matter how you look, you go there for a purpose. Like I said, to praise the Lord. So me personally, I don't go to churches because of that, because I don't like the hypocrisy, like the two-faced, you know? So if I praise the Lord, I do it on my own time, in my own, you know, surroundings or whatever. Well, I haven't been in years since I was a child, and it was in West Virginia, screaming at you, scaring the bejeebies out of you, so I don't, really attend anymore and I think a lot of churches are just after sorry after money you can go to church and come out with nothing or you can go to church and bring out a lot you know it, it's how you perceive it it's how you what you want to get out of it 
I mean, I, I grew up as a Christian and I've been an atheist. I'm a Buddhist currently. So my idea of church might be uh, somewhat different than, you know, like traditional like Catholicism, you know. But, uh, you know, I still stand by my answer. It's kind of a place where people can just go together under one common unity. And uh, despite their differences, you're all there for the same reason, you know, worship. So. So a lot of different answers. Some of them you might have even had some similar experiences with. I've had some similar experiences with some of those things. In fact, um, just a quick recap, a summary of, of some of the words that were used um, to describe their, their past experience with church, a disappointment, um, two-faced, hypocrisy in the church, um, screaming at you, Scare the heejee-beejees out of you. I didn't know how to spell that, so I kind of went with just phonetically how it sounded. My experience actually growing up and attending some of those churches is they scared the heejee-beejees into me, not out of me. Um, but yeah, a lot of churches, some of the screaming type, um, I keep telling Matt, you need to scream more. Like, just scream, scream more. People love it. Um, but after your money, bad experience with church, generally just often, the people that you interact with out in the community who are not a part of a local community church, they don't have a lot of great things to say about it. In fact, it's why they're not in church. Um, it's why they don't want to associate themselves with that type of community. But we get such a different picture of what God intended the church to be. In fact, what I want to do uh, this morning is look at a brief period of history in the first century church what exactly took place uh, right after Jesus ascended back into heaven? So let me give you a real quick like history recap. Um, the book of Acts, which we're gonna look at a few verses from there. The book of Acts is written by uh, Luke, the disciple, and he also wrote, obviously, the Gospel of Luke. And so Luke often talks about, as a doctor, he was someone who paid a lot of attention to detail. And if you ever write the, read the Gospel of Luke or Acts, you see a lot of attention to detail. It comes from his, his studies, his, his passion for science and medicine. So in the Gospel of Luke, Luke describes that the purpose of that book is to explain all that Jesus taught and all that Jesus did. That's exactly how Luke writes it. And so we get that picture in the Gospel of Luke. Then after Jesus ascends back to heaven, actually just prior to Jesus ascending back to heaven, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, Luke ends and then Acts begins. And it's in the book of Acts that we get the picture of what Jesus continued to do and then how the church continued to thrive and grow in the first century to here we are today in the 21st century. So what happens is in the first chapter of Acts, uh, basically the, the church is gathered, there's about 120 or so of the, of the core group of, of followers of Jesus. They're in the upper room, they're discussing what's happening. Um, Jesus has been teaching and walking and spending time, it says, for a period of over 40 days, Jesus interacted with them and continued to teach them. And then finally, it came a point in which Jesus ascended back to heaven, and, and there's this incredible scene where uh, the disciples and, and all the, the followers of Jesus, around 120 men and women, all standing there. Jesus ascends back to heaven. They're staring into the sky, 
and it says that out of nowhere, two men dressed in white robes came and stood next to them, just out of the blue, and was, were staring with them, and then finally looked at them and said, what are you guys looking at? He's gone. He'll be back. It's time to get busy. That's my paraphrase, but that's basically what he was telling them. And so then from that point on, we pick up the story of the early church. What happens then is Peter preaches this incredible sermon, the first of five sermons that he preaches, what we call the kerygma. That's a Greek word for, for the proclamation. If you ever want a, a, a synopsis, a snapshot of what the gospel is all about, read in Acts chapter 1 and 2, this incredible sermon that Peter gives where he talks about the life of Jesus, traces all the way back to the Old Testament, what was said in the Old Testament, in the Psalms, in the prophets about the Messiah, what Jesus came, how he fulfilled all of those prophecies, what he accomplished for us on the cross. And then he gives an altar call, and you know what happens? 3,000 people come to faith. 3,000 people there in Acts chapter 2 get baptized. An incredible picture of a radical group of people that were laying it all on the line, following Jesus even after he had ascended, being a part of this new community, this life-giving faith. And so this is where we're going to pick up in Acts 2.42 what happens. And it's a different picture than what we just saw in some of the descriptions of those that we interviewed in the community. Let's read this verse. There's going to be five or six that we're going to read. I'm going to tell you a couple stories. And then we're going to have a really great challenge for all of us to look at. So Acts 2.42, we'll start just with that verse. This is what it said. So this is picking up right after the 3,000 have been saved. A lot of people saved and baptized. Now what? It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Luke gives a, a really um, quick, to-the-point synopsis of exactly what this group banded together to do. They were in full devotion to the gospel to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching at that time would have been essentially uh, Peter's sermon. That's what they knew of the apostles' teaching. Paul had not written his letters yet, so they didn't even have those. Um, they didn't have all the letters that we have. They simply had uh, the sermons and the eyewitness accounts of what Jesus had taught and what Jesus had done. They, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Most of that is pretty self-explanatory, although we could go into it for a long time. But I want to zero in on that word fellowship. Depending on your Bible or the translation that you have, uh, that word sometimes might say uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to communion. There might be a different word there used than fellowship. It basically comes from this Greek word koinonia. Koinonia is a complex word. It's not a Christian word. Uh, it's a word that in, in Jesus' time, in that first century period, uh, even in commerce, even in trade, um, if I was selling you my boat, it might be something that we would have a common agreement on as it relates to what you're going to give me and what I'm going to give you. In fact, let me just give you a quick uh, uh, sort of definition of koinonia. Um, it's basically when we have something in common, um, there's a sense of belonging uh, there's a sense of family, responsibility, sharing with others, um, a contribution to the cause, 
um, basically a sense of what we are doing, we're agreeing to do together. But when it comes to understanding koinonia, as it relates to scripture and our faith, what we get a picture of is how Jesus embodied koinonia and invites us into a partnership with the Holy Spirit to advance the gospel, to be a part of what God is doing in his kingdom, and to do that together. I was talking to somebody earlier this week and they were, they were talking to me about their faith and, and it was somebody that was describing their faith with words like, for me, it's a private thing. Um, it's something that I just kind of keep internally. Just, it's, it's just between me and God. And I was wrestling with them and talking about how faith is actually intended to be so much more than that. God never intended our faith to be something that was only for ourselves, that we could only do for ourselves. Koinonia is an invitation for us to participate in this communal holiness, this communal activity of being a witness of Christ to the world. That's what Acts is about. That's what Northland is still about today. I saw this firsthand a couple days ago, and it reminded me of the character of this church. Just on Wednesday, um, I got a text from, from Jamila, who's one of our student ministries uh, staff, and she said, hey, I got a, a call from the coach over at Lyman High School, the JV and freshman uh, football coach, and they need meals before every game. And so they were asking if Northland might have interest in doing this. Um, I thought, well, that sounds pretty interesting. When does it start? Tomorrow. Okay, so that was Wednesday and then um, Thursday, and I thought, okay, well, we can, let's commit to tomorrow, um, and, you know, how many games are there? We're probably only going to do home games. Tell them we'll do it. Come to find out, it's all games, because um, these guys need to eat right after school. They eat at 2.45 um, in preparation for both of their games, which happen um, in the late afternoon and early evening. Um, but we're trying to organize on Wednesday food for 60 football players, all right? Um, I wasn't panicked until I was at the grocery store, and then I thought, what have we got ourselves into? Like, these boys eat a lot of food. And if they lose, I don't want it to be because Northland dropped the ball on the food. So I'm kind of freaking out a little bit. We're organizing and trying to figure out, you know, very last minute, call Publix. We get some chicken tenders from the millions of chickens that are born every day. Um, and and some, some potato wedges and all this fruit and some stuff to lay out, sweet teas and waters. We organize it um, and, and we've got everything prepped. And then that night, I, I thought, well, I'm going to text um, a person that you all are going to be introduced to in a few weeks, our new youth pastor that we have just hired. Um, he actually doesn't start for a couple weeks, but I thought, he's in town. Let's see if he'll come join. And so I text him, I'm like, hey, this is what's going on. Would you want to come over to Lyme and join me? Let's go do this together. He texts right back. I'm there. Tell me what time. I can't wait. So we go, Jamila and Lauren, a few of us go over there um, on, on Thursday. We got a couple pictures of, of sort of what took place. There's Rob um, giving a pregame like speech. The coach asked him to say something. And Rob gave this amazing like mini talk on boys, men, tonight. It's all about serving the person that's to your left and to your right. How are you gonna make your teammates better? 
on either side of you. I was in tears. Um, I think partly because it was an inspirational speech and partly because I thought, we have a youth pastor finally. I'm so excited, and he's so good. I cannot wait to introduce him um, officially uh, to you all. But Rob is an amazing, amazing guy, interacting with the coaches. We, we fed them food, and thank you, Jesus, we had enough. Um, we bust tables and refilled teas and, and waters and just hung out in the afternoon before they got bussed to their games because it was an away game. After it was all said and done, Rob said, I have to tell you another piece of, of the story that you don't know. He said, on Wednesday morning, I was meeting with an old retired head coach of, of another local high school, and I was telling him that I'm going to be starting at Northland, and I'd love to be connected on that end of town into some public schools. Um, Rob had been doing this, doing some food preparation and providing meals for the varsity team at another public school, and he wasn't going to be able to do that anymore, and he, he's trying to figure out how to do that while at Northland, and he asked him, the head coach, do you, do you know of any connections on that end of town? And he said, no, I'm retired, I really don't. And so Rob said, well, would you at least pray that God would open up a door? And that same day on Wednesday, I'm texting him, totally unbeknown that, that, that there's prayer happening, that God would open a door. And Rob's like, I could not believe it. And so there we are feeding these guys. In fact, I'm actually using this as, as a story to say, we want to do more of that. If you're a school teacher, an administrator, a faculty, and you know of one of your teams that needs some food, on behalf of Northland, this congregation, we want to be a part of that. To be a part of breathing life and encouragement, breaking bread with athletes. I can't think of a better way to bring Jesus into a space. Yeah. What really hit me, though, from this past Thursday is that's really no surprise because this is how Northland has always been. Paying attention to the needs of the community, seeing an opportunity, diving in. In fact, already, we, Thursday happens on Friday. I don't even know how. My phone is blowing up and I'm getting texts from different people in the congregation saying, I heard that we're providing meals for JV and freshmen. Can I sponsor the next meal? Can I throw in some food? What do you need? That's this church. And I love that. That's koinonia. That's the character of a congregation that's looking a whole lot like the first century church, seeing needs, meeting needs, seeing where we can bring life and filling that space. And, and I would invite you to continue to look for those opportunities. Um, well, we should keep going. I, I, I could get bogged down in that and, and spend too much time there. Let's look at the rest of 43 through 47. What happens as a result of them devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching? to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It said everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Some scholars note that it, it sounds a little utopian, doesn't it? Um, and it's almost impossible to imagine in the 21st century how those principles could be replicated. 
First of all, let me say that there's a lot of what you read in, in, in Acts that um, we would not try to replicate. We live in a different social economic place, right? We don't all live in a communal setting. We don't all, we're not all neighbors in this room. Um, there's just a certain way of doing life that's different from the 21st century to the first century. But in principle, what Luke is saying is when we pay attention to Jesus, when we're devoted to the same types of things, when we are committed to being a witness of who Christ is and bringing the gospel into those spaces, that's the stuff that's going to happen. We know that this is a theme that's important for the church because in the book of Acts, it's broken up into what's called six different sections, six different panels. You can look this up later. At the end of every panel, there is a similar verse that Luke uses, a similar sentence or two that sounds a lot like this one. The Lord added to the number daily those that were being saved. That's what the Lord does. That's the life that he brings. We pay attention to Jesus. We devote ourselves to those, those principles. And what does God do? He does what he always does. He brings life and adds life. Why? Because God loves life. It's the character of who he is. Some of you are in here right now or connected online and you're thinking, that's great that God loves life, but I'm kind of hating life right now. Things are not so good. And, and I'm in a tough place right now. And I'd love to be fully alive. I'd love to be in this place where I can experience the life that you're talking about, but I'm not quite there right now. Last night I was talking to a, a gentleman I met. Um, I went over to Four Rivers uh, for some fried okra and brisket and boy was it good and I was standing in line getting my takeout order I called it ahead and and a gentleman saw me with a shirt and he had just come from the Saturday night service and he approached me actually our lines just kind of coincided and he said hey I need to tell you about something that's happened to me he said my wife passed away two years ago and he started choking up and he said, it's been a really difficult two years. And I don't know how or why, but this whole idea of God loves life is exactly what I needed to hear tonight. And he said, I went back to the foyer after service and signed up to be a part of Grief Share and just be a part of that community where others are experiencing brokenness and a sense of life sort of missing right now. And yet the promise and the hope that Jesus brings even in that space, that we as Christians, because of the hope and promise of Christ, we can still, by the miracle of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, we can still experience life even in times where life seems impossible. And so if you happen to be in that place, I want you to hang on, because there's a piece of this for you as well. And in fact, there's a story that I want to close with that um, reminds me of, of, of this space that we're in right now, where, where all of us are on some type of spectrum, feeling like there's no life, 
to a little bit of life to maybe feeling right now fully alive. Maybe for some of us, things are going really well right now. We're on that spectrum. Let me tell you a story. Um, I got to hear this story again firsthand from a friend of mine um, that uh, lived, lived through this story that I'm going to tell you. In fact, his name is Crazy Roy. Um, Roy Pender is his, his actual name. Um, this is Roy now. He's my father's age, and I know Roy uh, because my father introduced me to him. Uh, Roy lives in Spanish Wells, Bahamas, uh, a tiny, tiny little island. My parents um, met Roy when they were young. My dad met him when he was 17, so the picture of Roy in the red there is when he was 17. My dad met him. My grandfather was a church planter, um, missionary pilot in, in the West Indies, and through some travel, that's how they met Roy and his family. So my dad got to know him around this time period that this story takes place. And so... This summer, we got our kids together. In fact, if, if you saw a panoramic of Roy there, you'd see my, my two kids and nieces and nephews sitting around. Roy loves to sing gospel music and tell stories, and he's got some crazy stories to tell. Um, so in this particular story that I want to I tell you about, Roy was 17 and living in Spanish Wells, what these guys do on a daily basis is they go diving and spearing for fish crawfish, they call it crawfish, we call it lobster, spiny lobster, Caribbean lobster, go out every day and do this, fill up a boat, come back, that's their livelihood, that's what all, all the, um, the men do, and they teach the young boys. Spanish Wells is, I don't know if I mentioned this, it's a half a mile long and a quarter of a mile wide, it's just a little dot in the ocean, and these guys do this every day, it's their livelihood. So Roy's 17, he goes out with his two buddies, Goldie and Joey, both about the same age as Roy, one's a little older, and they go spearfishing that day with Hawaiian slings. It's illegal to use pneumatic air compressed guns um, in the Bahamas. The Hawaiian sling is just a long shaft of a, of a spear. Um, you put a, almost like a slingshot type tubing on it and you spear fish. These guys go down 70, 80 feet, no tanks, free diving, and they do it all day. They get to the bottom. I've watched them do this. We've held on to um, ropes behind a boat and just watched them do this. Um, go down 70, 80 feet, and think about that for a second. I am like, I think I'm dying when I go down eight feet. These guys go down 70, 80 feet. They equalize and then swim for a minute or two, looking for the best hogfish, snapper, grouper, whatever they can find down there. On this particular day, they're, they're taking turns going down and bringing fish up into the boat. They're anchored about 70 feet deep, and they notice a shark that comes around. No big deal for these guys. Sharks are like alligators, maybe, for us here in Florida. It's just part of living in Florida. They don't pay much attention to it until it starts looking aggressive, and it is starting to take interest in what they're spearing. So they decide to load up and move to another spot, and Roy admits that typically what you would do if you saw an aggressive nine-foot bull shark around the area is you would move farther than they did that particular day. He says they only moved about 50 yards away because the fish were so thick in there and they didn't want to leave that space. Anchored, started diving again. Roy went down, speared a big grouper, what they do is when they spear them, they then slide the fish to the middle of, of the spear and then kick off bottom and come up 
such a heavy fish. These are 30, 40, 50 pound grouper that these guys are spearing. Put them in the boat, come back. There's always one person in the boat, two in the water, doing that all day. Roy gets down, looks around, spears a big grouper, moves it to the middle, goes to kick off when he sees out of the corner of his eye a flash. Looking back, he says, I'm pretty sure that that bull shark was aiming for the grouper, but missed the grouper and grab a, grabbed a hold of Roy's head. So here he is, 17 years old, at the bottom of, of 70 feet on a reef, trapped, letting go of the, the spear and the fish, trying to grab it in the gills and the eyes, anything you can do to get it to let go, looking down the throat of this massive shark. Goldie is dropping off a, a fish, looks down, sees Roy. He describes seeing him down there like a rag doll just being thrashed around swims down as fast as he can, poking, jabbing, gets the bull shark to let go, pushes Roy up to the surface so he at least knows and has orientation of which way to swim. Roy's swimming as fast as he can. Goldie's following him. Of course, there's a massive blood trail behind them. Get to the surface. Joey helps Roy in. He flops down on the pile of fish. Goldie looks in the water before he can get out and notices the shark is about to attack him shoots that shark with a spear, jumps in the boat, and they take off for their island. No cell phones at the time. This would have happened 50 years ago. CB radios, contacting, get a, get a medic vac ready. Uh, we're gonna have to fly Roy to Nassau. By the time they get back to the island, it took about 30 minutes, they were far out. They load Roy into the plane and take off, and they're heading back to Nassau. And Roy says that in that time period, that short flight, several times as he had bled so much out, weak, pale, almost no, um, no vitality left in him, he could hear the nurse that was watching him pronounce him dead several times. She would look for a pulse in several places, couldn't find a pulse, and would pronounce him dead, and Roy would just wiggle his fingers or wiggle his toes just to say, hey, I'm still here. Don't give up on me yet. I can hear you. Don't give up on me. Well, the story finishes with Roy getting there, 200 stitches around his head. It swelled up. My dad went and visited him, swelled up like a, like a basketball. After the swelling and the healing went down just a couple months later, where do you think Roy was? back in that water. But as I thought about that story and I thought about the spectrum of, of, a, of a man who, who if, if you get the chance to meet Roy on this side of heaven, fully alive, but quite nearly dead there in that moment. Some of us here are not experiencing life first and foremost because we have no relationship with Jesus. I was gonna tell him a different story but ran out of time about Jesus interacting with this super intellect, super smart Nicodemus, this guy telling him, you have to be born again. The only way you're gonna enter the kingdom of heaven and see the kingdom of heaven, using old school language, I love it, born again. Some of us here have not been born again. And if you were to take your pulse, there is no life. There cannot be spiritual life without Jesus.
Some of us are here as Christians, but the pulse is weak. And part of the reason the pulse has gotten weak is because the way that we have, over time, quit interacting, quit engaging, quit participating, as that koinonia word defines, with a community of people that are on mission together. And so my invitation for all of us is to get life back into us. First and foremost, if you're not a believer, when we dismiss here in just a minute, I want you to come this direction and come pray and use the old school New Testament language. Just say, hey, I don't, I don't know what it means to be born again. What does that look like? And there's some people here that would love to pray with you. Otherwise, go the other direction and get involved. There's coffee brewing, coffee ready with hazelnut and French vanilla and all that other stuff that we pour into our coffee. Hang out. If you're already involved in a lot of things, just go meet some people. Reconnect with some people. In fact, there's some ministry leaders in here tonight and this morning. They're going to uh, go ahead and exit and head to the foyer. We are purposefully extending the service into that space out in the foyer. We're going to end church here in this space, but we're not going to end it out there. There's no closing song this morning. Our closing song is to go out there and to rediscover ways that we can be connected together, finding opportunities to serve. Wherever you're sitting, um, look, if you're at the end of one of these aisles, uh, there's a black basket. If you would grab the booklets there and pass them down, just grab one of those booklets. These are sort of passports to different ways that, that we can all get involved. Um, many incredible ways, from children's ministry to youth ministry. If you want to grow in the apostles' teaching, there's Bible teaching that you can get involved in some classes. If you want to meet some people and grow in community, there's small groups. There's so many different things. The youth ministry, if you're a teacher, if you want us to come to your school, if you want to jump in and go with us um, sometime in the next seven weeks and hang out with JV and freshman football players, there's all kinds of stuff you can sign up. And even if you're already involved in something, just hang out a little bit longer. If you have kids that are over in children's ministry, you have permission uh, till 10.15, 10.20, but make sure you still go get them. Uh, don't leave them there. Um, but spend a little bit extra time doing what God is inviting us into and participating in bringing the first century picture of church into the 21st century so that we can be a life-giving community, fully alive, engaging people where they are. Would you stand? Let me close in prayer and in a benediction, and then I'll meet you out in the foyer, and we'll hang out a little bit. God, we love you. We're amazed every time that we think of your love for us, that you would dignify us with the extraordinary way that you not only created heaven and earth, but the way you filled this space with so much life. Thank you for each person here that's connected. God, would you invite us into more ways that we can participate with you, with your Holy Spirit, at work, in neighborhoods, in schools, in our homes. God, what would it look like at the end of this year for us to look back and see vitality, see vibrancy, see real life that's making an impact and changing our community. God, that people would look at this place and those of us that call this our home, this people called Northland, 
that they would say that those are people that are breathing new life and changing our communities for the better. God, may we be exactly like the first century right here, right now. May we do this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you in the foyer.